So I'll tell you what, I'll go ahead and I'll open in prayer. Lord, just ask, just your Holy Spirit would be with us, Lord, and uh, help us to understand these things and better understand your Son better and, and uh, your grace and mercy to us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. So, those of you who have been doing the keeping pace with the meeting, with the reading, if you're doing the year read-through, it's, you've, you've got later into numbers now. It gets pretty interesting, right? So we'll, we might talk about some of those things. Um, so last time, so we're, hopefully you read, some of you read Leviticus 16, which is the Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, because we're going to kind of focus in on that. And then, and then next week, I think, we'll switch over to start looking w- w- with David. But there's th- obviously, this is stuff we could spend in, you know, a year on, easily. So, um, so last time, I, I opened with 1 John 1, 9. If, you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So I love about that. It's not just it's just it's not just forgiveness. It's not just simply that your your sins the record has been wiped clean, which is wonderful, right? But there's also this idea of cleansing. And ever since uh, the garden, ever since Genesis three, we've been unable to just enter into sacred space anymore. And and you're going to see a lot of things that happen in the book book of Leviticus have to do with a cleansing, so you can enter back into sacred space. And so, if, like, so if you started with Leviticus, you, you, right out of the chute, you get five different sets of sacrifices, right? You, so you start out the first chapter with a burnt offering, and then the next chapter is is you get a grain offering. I thought it's interesting. Like that's that's kind of essentially what you had with Cain and Abel, right? And then and then you get a peace offering, and then a sin and a guilt offering. And as you read these, you'll notice that, especially when you get to the to the um, sin offering, the guilt offering, it says these are all for unintentional sin. And so I want to talk a little about that. And if you're like me, those aren't the sins I worry about. Someday when I stand before God, you know, I should worry about those, but it's really the, the sins of the high hand, the defiant sins that I worry about when I stand before God. And, and there doesn't seem to be, at least in Levitical terms, a covering for that. So I'm going to get, eventually we're going to get to Hebrews, and, and we're going to sort of round things up and talk about the superiority of Christ's death, who does, whose sacrifice is perfect and covers those sins. So we'll talk about that. But there's this idea of sins of the high hand, and, and, and this is very explicit in Numbers 15. You, someone might even have a translation where at the last part of Numbers 15 there, it'll talk about this idea of sins of the high hand, or your translations may say defiant sin. And, those, and those, for those sins, it's, it's death or exile. There's no... There's no, you're not going to bring a bull to the tent and, and deal with it. You're, you're going to be taken out and stoned or, or put out in the wilderness, right? Um, another thing that's interesting is you'll notice often it'll say that these, these offerings are, provide a soothing aroma to the Lord. And that's going to be something when later on I want to bring up when we start talking about Christ's crucifixion and the idea of a soothing aroma to the Lord. That's a phrase that's repeated over and over again. This, this atoning, these atoning sacrifices bring a, a, a smooth fragrance to the Lord. And, yeah, so anyway, there's all kinds of detail. You read these, and you're like, the, the details matter. I don't understand all the details. I'm always confused by, by what's going on. And so I want, I, now, I was kind of thinking about this a little bit more. I mean, every time I read these, I, I don't quite have my head wrapped around this. So I, 
I didn't make a I didn't make print this out for kind of a reason. So this is just me thinking out loud. So I don't know if you when you read scripture, I try to categorize things, right? And my categories might not always fit scripture properly. So this is one of those slides. Don't don't. This is just Wayne kind of thinking and categorizing something, and it, it, don't don't take it as gospel truth. But when I kind of look at, look at the sins, there's kind of, I kind of have this sort of rank five ordering, what I see in Leviticus. And the first one has to do with impurities. And some of these things, these impurities are things you simply can't avoid. Like, the, like when you get to Leviticus 12, it talks about a mother, when she gives birth, she's impure, and she, and she has to go through this... Um, a sacrifice actually has a guilt offering and a sin offering. And you think, well, what's the sin in having a baby, right? Well, it's, it's, it's not in the sense, it's not sin in the same sense that we think of, but it has to do with the fact, ever since Genesis 3, at least in my mind, we've been tainted, right? Our DNA has been shifted. Our, our, we, we can no longer enter into Eden. We can no longer enter into God's sacred spaces anymore, right? So there's, there's a, so it's a sin offering, not in the sense of, you know, a woman's accountable, or, or for the, and we'll see. There's a list of other things that, that enter into that. You know, touching a dead body, and things, and other things, having a skin rash, and these things that are impurities. So they're not sins in the way that we would think of sins, but they are tied to our sin nature and our our, our, our situation that we're in, not being able to enter into sacred space. Those are kind of that's I call those sort of kind of the level one sin, and then. Then it talks about unintentional sin, just generic unintentional sin. These are sins that you're sort of ignorant of at the time, and maybe you're, you're made aware later, and then when you're made aware, then you bring your sacrifice in, and there's all kinds of different versions. Often it's a burnt offering and a sin offering for these sort of unintentional sins. Again, these aren't sins I necessarily worry about, right? But, but And then there's sort of these, these sins that require reparations, like and, and they have to do with sort of milder forms of theft and extortion. Like you, someone lent you some money, and you're supposed to give it back. You held on to it, to it too long, or you know you've you've not paid the proper amount. And there's repara- there, there You can actually pay the money back, oftentimes with like a 20% added to it. So that's kind of level three. And, and all these sorts of these one level one, two, and three that I wrote down, they're all things that you could bring. You could do. You could bring a sacrifice sometimes. Sin offering, burnt offering, and sometimes also a guilt offering, right? Then you get to, like, well, I'm, again, this is just my mental category. Don't, don't take this as gospel. Sort of, then you get into moral sin against others, and that's murder and adultery and theft, bearing false witness in court. These are kind of, think of think the last five commandments, right? Those, those sorts of things. And these, um, there's, of course, there's no way to do reparations. These are the things that are eye for an eye, life for a life. Um, murder and adultery, these things are death or exile. Right? These, are, these are the things that you, you're not going to bring a bull to the tent and sacrifice it. You're, you're, you're now, and then this, of course, this puts people like Moses in a precarious situation, right? I mean, Moses, you're going to find, you know, early in his life, he murdered an Egyptian, right? That's why he fled Egypt to begin with, right? So he's, he's already broken the Sixth Commandment. Um, and of course, when we get to others, it, all the cast of characters in the Scripture, David especially, are going to be guilty of these sorts of things, right? So, and then finally, sort of the, the, the worst of the lot are sins of defiance, or these are the sins of the open hand against God. One of the worst ones you can do is idolatry, right? That's, there's no, absolutely no tolerance. That's death. 
Like, we'll, we'll look at Leviticus 16 today, but Leviticus 17, they talk about people that carry their sacrifices out into the wilderness, and they're kind of doing them on their own. God just sees that like worshiping the goat demons, it says. And that's idolatry's death. Blas- blasphemy, open blasphemy against God is death. Um, direct disobedience. We'll talk about, like you've read in Numbers where the, the, where the one person went out to gather sticks on the Sabbath. And, he, and he's been told over and over again, don't do this, right? You're, you're, not, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. You know, he's, seen the tw- he's seen the ten plagues. He's seen the parting of the Red Sea. He's, he's seen these things. Right? Yet he still went and defiantly against that and didn't trust God. Of course, they took him out and they took him outside and they, st- they stoned him. Right? These are, so there's no... So now, when we get to the book of Hebrews, right, we'll discover the superiority of, of um, <coughs> Christ's sacrifice. And there's, so, but again, these are, these are shadows of which Christ will be the perfect sacrifice. So, but just what, so you read these, it's, it's, these are sort of a loose category. Any comments on this? Do you, I, this is, these categories aren't perfect, so it, they, I'm, I'm confused a little bit by them as well. So. Well, I was in reading, um, after your comments last week, in reading um, the 16th chapter, it seems, to, I, don't, I don't really understand um, I do understand that there were specific things for, you yeah. know, punishments for adultery and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when it says um, that it was for rebellion, mm-hmm. wasn't aren't sins of defiance against God rebellion? And he yeah. says when he puts his hand on it over the, it's for the. Yeah. He says all their sins. Yeah. Right. So I, I right. think it forgave them, but didn't it at least? Yes. Keep you know, like Rome says, push off the, the, the penalty for that? Right, yeah, so we'll talk about that. That's exactly right. So I read that and I think... So... So rebellion against God, I think you shall have no other God. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's, that's, you know, the, think the first five commandments, right? You know, build idolatry right out of the chute. Then blasphemy, misusing God's name. Um, and then just defiance against the Sabbath dishonoring your parents. And dis- your, your parents are a proxy for God. Right? Define, right? And, these, and you see over and over again, these were people that were taken outside the city gates and they were stoned and they were killed or they were banished. Right? So yeah, so that's, that raises a question in Leviticus 16, which we'll get to, is the, talks about this, the, all the evil and sin that the people did. And then, so I don't know. I, I, what, what's going on there? And, there, and even within these, there's levels like we, we, even in our legal system, we have levels of, of murder, right? There's murder one, murder two, murder three. And the scripture talks about if you do something, if you murder in a premeditated fashion, like you've planned it ahead of time, that's like, that's our, I mean, I, we, I assume we get murder three from that, that idea that if you plan it, as opposed to you just randomly get in a fight with somebody and kill them, that's, that's not quite so. So there's gradations even within those various things, right? So it's a, it's very foreign. I couldn't imagine living in this particular economy. But, but, um, but it's clear that Leviticus keeps going over and over again for, for unintentional sins. These are the th- and, and for things that are sins of the high hand, like it says in Numbers 15, at the end of Numbers 15, these are things that there's no atonement for, at least in the Levitical system. Now, when we get to Jesus, now... You know, so there are things, like, like you... I don't know, maybe I'm going a little bit far with this, but... But Jesus does talk about 
the, the unforgivable sin, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which I think anything that you can bring to Christ and, and, and you're going to be forgiven for, but if you're in a constant state of, of, of resisting the Holy Spirit, especially when you're seeing Jesus right in front of you doing miracles and you're resisting that, there's no, there's no atonement for that, right? Even, if, even in, in the Jesus' sacrifice, right? That's, that's it. There's, there's no, no coming back from that, right? I think as long as you have a heart that's willing, you know, to come to Christ, your, you can, your sins will be atoned for. So we'll, we'll go, because Hebrews, that's why I love the book of Hebrews, right? The Hebrews really brings this into clarity. And, and, and the superiority of what Christ did over the Levitical system, the blood of bulls and goats had no effect, right? These, these are placeholders. So where's that messy middle ground of how they lived and who, who died and who can have their sins atoned for? Like some of the extorting people, I mean, that, that's pretty bad. I mean, I, I would think like that should be worthy of, of a higher level sin. I don't know. So, yeah. I mean, I think I have a couple other things. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but here, here's just some examples that were talks about. So Leviticus 4 goes on and on about just generic unintentional sins. It talks about if the priest commits, commits an unintentional sin, if the people commit an un, unintentional sin, or the whole body commits a sin, and then later on they realize they sinned, but they didn't realize they were sinning at the time, you know, that kind of thing. And so there's all di- there's different versions of this. Um, one that's just sort of hit me, like, and I already mentioned this, is purification of her childbirth. You actually give a sin offering. Like, you know, I mean, the whole thrust of Scripture is the idea is that the seed of the woman is going to bring salvation, right? Childbirth is a necessary thing for salvation. But yet, here you have this purification. You need both a burnt offering and a sin offering after a woman, you know. So I think these, again, my mind takes, goes all back to Genesis 3, right? The curse that happened in Genesis 3. And so this idea of entering into sacred space, we're meant for a better place. And Genesis 3 is keeping us, right? There's got to be something that happens that allows us to enter back into that inner sanctuary. And these are painting pictures of those things. So, yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't want to spend a lot. Now, like... There's unintentional violation of, of rest days, which if they're unintentional, they could be atoned for. But clearly, like you get to the next chapter in, num- in Numbers, you, you, the guy that goes out and gathers the sticks, he did it defiantly. And that, he was taken out and he was stoned. Right. Yeah. So, you mentioned the purification after childbirth a couple of times. I was wondering, I mean, is it reading too much into it to say that that points to original sin of... You know, like, no, children aren't born pure, and we just mm. corrupt them because of our society. But right. they're born. Right. They're born. I mean, we're all born needing a sin offering. We yeah. Yeah. Sin. Yeah. It's not so much for the woman exactly as it is for the child. Yeah. I. There's a level of mystery to this to me, so I, I don't. I don't want to say too much about it because I, I will. I will say something wrong if I. So, it. I'm still, t- I've been wrapping my head around this for, you know, the last 20 years. I don't, I don't really have a full grip on this. So, for now, we see through a mirror darkly. Someday, someday this will make sense. Um, I will make a comment. This is, this is my pre-millennial eschatology speaking. I, I believe there will be a third temple. And when that third temple is built, we'll have a clear understanding of, of what, what these all things mean. If you ever read, we're going to go to Isaiah 53. If you ever look, read Isaiah 53, do you read all the verbs are in the past tense? 
it's like, you know, Isaiah 53 was never read in its proper way in any of the temples or tabernacles, right? Now, well, in the temple, right? I think in the third temple, we'll have, it'll be read and we'll understand it. But anyway, that's, that's me wildly speculating about future events. So, don't, but <coughs> And so there's also a guilt offering. So there's some things that required um, a guilt offering as well as a sin offering. And... and um, like Leviticus 6 has this situation where you sort of deceive your neighbor in an amount of money. You don't pay the right amount of money, right? You keep some of it to yourself or you don't fully reveal the amount of money. But there was a guilt offering. In this case, it was a case where there was some restitution that you could give money back. I think it was like throw on another 20%. Um, yeah, so anyway, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but... but uh, yeah, so there's all these very detailed laws about what you could bring sacrifices for and what you couldn't bring sacrifices for. What was, what was death and what, what was something that you could atone for? With sin offerings, burn offerings, or perhaps a guilt offering. So, and of course, there, there's other offerings that you would offer, not necessarily, you, know, you know, if you're just a Thanksgiving offering, you might bring a peace offering or a grain offering. And, and, or, or if you're dedicating something completely to the Lord, um, that was an offering that you would bring. So... Anyway, so some of this is, is a bit um, <coughs> mysterious to me. So, but, but I think this idea of this ritual purification. You know, I've had people that are atheists that sort of mock scripture saying, oh, well, you know, it's a sin to wear a shirt that has made of two different fibers, right? Because that's one of the things you couldn't do. Or, or it's a sin to have a pimple, right? Because they go to the, like, well, you're not really fairly reading the context, of these things, right? It's not a sin for a woman to have a menstrual cycle. It's not a sin, you know. These are these are things for which you are ritually impure. These are things for which you you need they need to be pure to be enter into in a holy space, right? So it's it's not a fair reading of the text. So that's you'll I, I find that arguments frequent among people that just hear things about the Bible but haven't really read the text. So, but anyway. So we're going to get to Jesus' sacrifice. So let's just let's go ahead and just move on a little bit, and let's let's turn to Leviticus 16 and actually read the read the text. Now I mentioned this earlier, which now I don't know if this is <coughs> important or not. Leviticus 16, in some sense, is right in the middle of the book of the books of Moses. Right? If you you look at the Pentateuch, you look in the middle, you're right about Leviticus 16, and and a lot of when the Hebrews uh, wrote things there there's um what they call a chiasm where they where where it's kind of poetry where and and in this sort of poetry the middle element is always sort of the main point right so in some sense if you thought of the whole of books of Moses as a kind of a chiasm you're in the middle and this is in the well, when we get to Isaiah 53 for the last you know you think of Isaiah being split into two pieces, we'll, start, we'll find out that Isaiah 53 is also right in the middle of that section of Isaiah. And 50 through 12 is in the middle of that, which is sort of the key verse there. So anyway, whether that's significant or not. But now we get to the Day of Atonement, or, or it's called Yom Kippur. It's on the 10th day of the 7th month. And this was the one time of year that you would actually fast you, you would, and mourn. Every other... Um, Feast day was a feast day. You would eat something. This is the one day that you would not. And so let me, let me open with the very first verse. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. So the, if you know the story, I think you just go back a few chapters. I think in Leviticus 10, 
Aaron's two sons, what did they do? Do you remember the story? What? Yeah, so what, what's the big deal, right? Hey, I, I can worship God any way I want to, right? What's the big deal? I just, you know, I got a censor here. I could, you know, hey, I'll just do my thing. And oh, you, when, you, when you approach God, there's prescriptions. And it cost them their life. You can't, the rules for entering into, the, into worship has prescriptions to it. It's not, it's not our prerogative, it's God's prerogative to define what those boundaries are. And it costs uh, Moses' sons' lives. You know. They were up on the mountain, right? If you go back to Exodus 24, they saw the pavement, the gold pavement, and they saw God and, on the mountain and stuff, and yet um, there was an act of rebellion there. And so, they, so that's interesting. Now, you, now, this is the one day that the high priest is going to go into the Holy of Holies. This is, as you're going to see, you've got to be careful because if you don't do it right, you die, as you're going to see here. It says, tell your brother, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the atoning cover, which is on the ark, or he will die. Right. So you know, there's, there's, there's a, you go know, in the tabernacle, there's a part that's curtained off, and, there's the, and, there's, and then in the innermost part, there's another veil between the innermost part where there's the holy of holies. That's the part you don't go into or you die. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. And we talked about this. We talked about the mercy seat, the cover on the Ark that had the two cherubim with their wings covering over. That's how God's presence would be there. And if you came into that room with God's presence in the wrong way, you would die. But yet, this is also the mercy seat. This is, this is the place we talked about the idea of this atonement, this covering of sin. So you have both death and mercy sort of at the same point. But, but you can't, Aaron just can't walk in there at any old time. There's a prescription about how he's to do it and when he can do it. Right? That's entering to the most inner sanctuary. Now we'll get the Hebrews. Right? It's significant when Christ died that the temple veil was ripping too. And it says we can enter in boldly. Right? We can just walk, we can waltz right in there and go right up to God because of what Jesus did. But getting ahead of myself. So it says Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull as a sin offering and a ram as a, as a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body when he shall be wrapped about the waist with a linen sash and the linen turban around, or wound around his forehead. These are holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and put them on and he shall take from the congregation... Yeah, let me stop there in verse 4. So he's going he's, he's he's to wash himself. He's, he's got to... Um, grab this ram and this bull for his burnt offering. So he's, this, he's going to enter into this sacred space once a year. We'll find out later. And, but there's a, very, there's a prescription for doing this. Right? He has to go in with, with the right clothes on and, and whatnot. So then, and he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats as a sin offering, one ram as a burnt offering. So that we'll come back to these two male goats here in a second. It says, Then Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, so that he make, now here's the word, atonement for himself and for his household. So he's going to enter in, he's going to slaughter this bull, and he's going to sprinkle it on the cover of the ark, on the atonement cover, on the mercy seat. And that's to make atonement for him and his household. That's necessary for him to enter that space, that, that purification rite has to be carried out. He shall then take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So this is outside. So he's got, he's got two goats. Then he was going to do, he's going to 
shall cast lots, throw dice for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for a scapegoat. All right, so this is going to be really important. There's two different goats. One's going to be for the Lord. It's going to be offered as a sin offering. And there's another one that's called the scapegoat. Someone might have another translation that will use a term like Azazel. Does anyone have that written on that? So that, that's a whole other topic I'm not going to get into. But, but there's, there's something else going on. Because you get to Leviticus 17, it talks about these things that are goat demons. And, um, and part of this, you know, the this, this scapegoat is going to go out into the wilderness. And, and there could be connections with Christ being in the wilderness. And, you know, he's, he, there he's wrestling with Satan. And then, you know, you Psalms 91 and, you know, this idea of goat demons and things. That all, and I don't, I'm not going to get into that because <clears throat> I don't think we have time for it. But, but anyway, so the point here is there's two, two goats. Right? There's one's going to be for the Lord and one's going to be the scapegoat. And scapegoat is a term we use to this day. Right? It's the person you blame for everybody's trouble, right? is the scapegoat. And that's exactly what you have here. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot fell, for the Lord fell, and make it a sin offering. <clears throat> so it's going to fall in that category of sin offering. But the goat on which the Lord for the scapegoat should fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it to send into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So there's going to be two atonement accomplished two different ways here. So there's going to be one goat that's going to be the atonement's going to happen is going to happen with a scapegoat and then the other one's going to be a sin offering. So those are kind of those are kind of important. <coughs> yeah, I always wonder why sometimes bulls, why sometimes they're males, sometimes they're females, sometimes they're they can be males from the rams, or male, or, you know, they could be female ewes. I, I, good question. So why are they goats, right? I mean, you, you immediately take, take your mind to things like separation of the sheep and the goats, and like, yeah. I am sure there's a reason. I just don't know what it is. So, yeah, Nathan. I don't know the internal logic, but when you think about the the Lamb of God situation in the world isn't a reference to the sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. It's to the Passover. Yes. Right? Yes. Thank you, Nathan. That's really good. Yeah, right. Clearly, the reference is always to the Passover. Especially in the Revelation, the lamb that was slain is clearly a reference to the... In fact, the New Testament, Paul's right clear about this. This is Christ is your Passover lamb that was slain. Yeah, that's, yeah so this is, not, this is not the Passover lamb. This is something else going on. But it's related. So we keep seeing this word atonement. We've already talked about um, atonement, but we're, and we're going to use two, two kind of big words, propitiation, and the other one is going to be expiation. So we're going to talk about that. And, and, and there's, both of these things are, are happening at the same time. This, this, I, and let's, let's keep reading. We'll get back to that. So then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take the firepan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, so that the cloud of incense may cover the atoning cover that is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise, you will die. Again, here you have the ark, the cover, the atoning cover. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the atoning cover and on the east side, also in front of the atoning cover, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So this is part of this purification entering into this, this holy space. So this is, the, this is the sacrifice of the bull. 
Then we get to the goats. So then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering. That's the, that's the one that's going to be slaughtered, which is for the people, <clears throat> and bring its blood inside the veil and do it with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the atoning cover and in front of the atoning cover. So this is also going to go into the Holy of Holies where the ark is. This is, again, one time a year. They're going to go in and that same blood is also going to be put on the atoning cover. Now, this gets to what Marilyn was saying. He says, You shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of all their unlawful acts regarding all their sins. And he shall do for, some, for the tent of meeting which remains with them in the midst of their impurities. So there seems to be, it's not just impurities here, it's all their sins, right? So it seems a very blanket statement. I don't know. I'm not... So... I, if you just take it at face value, this is going to be something that's going to be a sin for, it's going to cover the congregation. Whatever their, their collective corporate sin is, is going to be atoned for. So both the impurity and whatever the, the, these various unlawful acts are. When he goes in to make atonement into the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, so that he may make atonement for himself and his household for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. So there's an altar that's just, there's, there's, there's two different, there's an altar of incense just outside the Holy of Holies, but then there's the other big altar that's outside the tent. And that's where all the main sacrifices usually take place. Then you should go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the blood from the bull and some of the blood from the goat and put it on the horns and on, the, on all the sides of the altar. With his fingers he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the impurities of the sons of Israel. So now, now it's applying the blood to the altar that's outside the tent. You get an interesting picture of this in Revelation 6 where you have the martyrs, the martyrs that are under and their blood is on this particular, on the altar yeah. underneath there and there's... There's a relation. This is interesting. When you read the book of Revelation, all this symbology is pulled right in into the book of Revelation. So to understand Revelation, you really need to, really need to understand these because this is the backdrop for much of what happens there. It says, When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of the meeting of the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wrongdoings of the sons of Israel and all their unlawful acts regarding all their sins, and he shall place them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands ready. Then the goat shall carry on itself all their wrongdoings to an isolated territory. He shall release the goat into the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? They put their, just like a lot of the other sacrifices, you notice they put their hands on the bull when it's slaughtered. Here they put the hands on the scapegoat. Why do you, why do you suppose the, the putting the hands on it is important? Identification. Yeah, because you, there should be a real sense. Now, there's a lot of gore and a lot of blood. There's a real sense that I think, that I gather from this, that it's dying in your stead. And you putting your hands on is you're identifying with this animal that's about to be slaughtered. I, this would be tough. Yeah, go ahead. Is there any connection to where you would place a hand on for like the transference of a blessing? Or this is also how you, you pass, you know, that. Like there's a self-identification there somehow? Yeah, from me to you. Po- yeah, I'm it's sure, probably. From me to you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of a clear sign that you've, you know, you've been touched. 
You know, Jesus would do that when he would heal people. He would physically touch them. Of course, sometimes he would just say it and they would be healed too. Yes. Yeah. 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 And of course, Jacob does that with Manasseh and Ephraim. And but here, but here, it's it's an identification. This animal is being slaughtered. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm. I, I remember once when I was a kid seeing a, a cat, some cattle butchered, and I once cleaned a deer. And I don't ever want to do any of that again. <laughs> I I don't like. It's not my thing. But but. I think there is a real sense of abhorrence. You see, the blood represents the life, and you witness this death, it should have an effect on you. This is very solemn, and, and there's a sense at which this animal is your substitute. That's clear with the Passover lamb. You know, it's, it's the Passover dies, or it's you that dies. It's a substitute. It's the idea of substitution. So there's covering, there's substitution, and all these things that are going on. So, now you, so you have this other goat that's just going to be sent out into the wilderness. So it's not slaughtered. And, and the idea is that it's carrying away your sin. It's going out there. So now we come to our two words, expiation and propitiation. So propitiation is the idea of, of appeasement. And let me give you an ex- I'll give you a couple examples. And remember when um, Jacob, he had been in Laban's land, for a, working for Laban for a long time. And he came back and he was going to meet his brother Esau for the first time. You remember when he left because Esau was going to kill him. So he's thinking, well, maybe Esau still has a grudge. Do you remember what Jacob did? Just sort of, as he knew, he knew Esau was coming, he would gather up animals, he would split his crew up, and he would send all kinds of animals as gifts ahead of, them, ahead of him. And that was so that he could, and the word is, propitiate Esau. He was trying to satisfy Esau's wrath, so that when he finally met Esau, Esau wouldn't kill him, right? That's, that's kind of this idea of propitiation. Right? Um, there's another crazy one, if you've been reading, if you, let me flip over the numbers. This is another very harsh form of propitiation, if I can find out where it was. Is it before? <clears throat> yeah, the sin. So, so if you remember in, in Numbers 25, this is a case where the, the Israelites, this is, they're up in the area of, of Moab, I remember Baal's trying to curse, I mean, I mean not Baal, Balaam is being hired to curse and he can't curse them. So what happens is the thing that causes Israelite to fall is, is sexual sin. They get, they get the Moabite women, seduce them, and then they start um, intermingling with the Moabite women. It says, Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So this is a bold act of defiance. This, what, this guy, this Israelite guy is going to bring this Moabite woman right in his tent, right in front of God and everybody. Like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Right? And then Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it and rose up from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the inner room of the tent and pierced both of them, the man and the Israel the man of Israel and the woman through the abdomen so that the plague on the sons of Israel was brought to a halt and those who died from the plague were 24,000 in number. It says, Then the Lord spoke to, saying, 
Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, has averted my wrath from the sons of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel with my jealousy. Therefore, say, behold, I am giving him my covenant of peace and it shall be for him and for his descendants after him a covenant of permanent priesthood because he was jealous for his God and, here's our word, he made atonement for the sons of Israel. So that's an extreme example of propitiation. The idea is averting God's wrath. God was, there was a plague going on and this was being done in full act. God's wrath, the hammer was about to fall and Phineas, with his act of zealousy, which um, <laughs> that, atone, that, that provided atonement. There was a death there, but there was that. There was a, that was a, so that's, that's the idea of propitiation. Right? This is 1 John 2. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is, it says he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's the propitiation. That's the satisfaction of God's wrath. Because we've sinned, we deserve God's wrath. And so somehow God's wrath is being satisfied. So this is one aspect of atonement is propitiation. Is the word. I think it comes from a Latin word for, for, for this. So. But the other form is expiation. And this is the idea of to remove or to, or to cleanse. You can talk about expiating a wound. If you get a cut and you want to clean out the wound, you can expiate the wound. That's kind of what we use, kind of use the same. So this is the idea of to remove impurity. So, and this, this is, at least according to people, Gary Bashir's, this is the idea of the, the um, goat of expiation. The, the sin is it's not just merely atoned for, propitiated for, it's expiated for cleansed. So both things have to happen. You, ha- you have to be forgiven and you get God's wrath averted, paid for, plus you also need to be cleansed, right? If you want to enter into that holy space, you need to be pure. You need your sins removed from you. That's, that's kind of the idea with the two goats. Does that, does that make sense? Now whether that's a clear, whether you can say one's the perpetuator goat, one's the, the expiatory goat, I don't know if you can clearly make that division, but both are happening here. And also have the covering of sin. That's happening as well. So, so the atonement has a lot of different aspects to it. So I've, I find this really... So this goes back to 1 John 1.9. The idea of God forgiving our sin. And in it's, and it's, and 1 John 1.9, it's because he is righteous. Not because I am righteous. It's because he is righteous that he, he's, he will forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, right? Both of those aspects are, are beautiful. Right? If, you're, if you're a Christian, right, that's what First John was written for. That idea of bringing your sins to God for both propitiation and expiation is, is a beautiful thing. And, I, and um, take advantage of that. Right? That's, that's, it's there for, for your offering, that, that idea. So, so that's two kind of aspects that you have of the Day of Atonement. Then Aaron came into the tent of meeting and take, and take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and he shall leave there and he shall bathe his body with water in the holy place and put on his clothes and come out after his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people and shall offer up the smoke of the fat of the sin offering on the altar and the, and the one who released the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water and afterwards he shall come into the camp but the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin, the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering whose blood was brought into the holy in, to make atonement in the holy place shall be taken outside the camp. And, they, and by the way, Hebrews 13, I think it's 13, is going to make a deal about this 
taking outside the camp, their flesh and their refuse in the fire, then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with the water, and afterward he shall come up into the camp. So the idea in Hebrews 13, maybe, yeah, maybe we'll have some time to look at it, is the idea that Christ was crucified outside the camp. So there's, there's, a, there's again, there's a, there's a ton of typology going on here that, that Hebrews is going to make rich use of to sort of explain this. So, um, right, so it goes on, the rest of the chapters, this is something they did once a year, every year, tenth day, seventh month, one day, day of atonement. This is the one time that the priest could enter in and make atonement for the people. Very, the, only, the only solemn ceremony, they, I mean, the only solemn ceremony where they had to um, fast and humble themselves before God. The rest of them were food, right? So, so you, you get the picture? Right? So this is painting a picture. Right? And, and all these things are painting a picture of different elements of atonement and what happens when we're not just forgiven, but we're cleansed and our sin is covered and, and removed as far as the east is from the west. Although, as we'll discover when we get to Hebrews, this doesn't quite, it's not quite, Efficacious, meaning that it doesn't really bring what ultimately happens here. So I want to I want to get to that. Um, so so to go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews, and you could just and I love I love the book. Of, if it wasn't for the book of Hebrews, I would be very confused about a lot of this. So um, I don't know who wrote Hebrews. Someone who knew Paul, but I'm, I'm glad they did because it helps make sense of a lot of this, right? So. And, and as you know, the book of Hebrews is about the superiority of, of Jesus over Moses. The idea of, of this idea of a new covenant, which we'll, we'll talk about in some detail later. The idea of the superiority of the new covenant over, over the old covenant, over, over the Mosaic covenant. And, and, um, <clears throat> so, so I've got five different elements of the, of the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. I want you to realize... This is, this is the real sacrifice. When we talk about shadows and reality, we've been reading in Leviticus and Exodus, the Passover lamb and the day of atonement. These are shadows. These are shadows of atonement. The real atonement is going to happen at Christ's crucifixion. And that one's going to be the one that's efficacious. And it's superior in, in every possible way. Right? First of all, is Christ's sacrifice is perfect. Right? If you go to, back to the Passover... The Passover lamb had to be a lamb without any, a male lamb without any blemish. Right? You had to pick the best. Right? Well, Christ, as as we know, what had was one who did not sin, but all the sins would be placed on the one who did not sin. Right? He was the perfect. Um, so, let me read nine eleven. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. This, this, this is a whole other level. This is, this is the idea of eternal redemption. This is not just so you can enter into a to a holy space and you have to keep redoing that sacrifice over and over again. This is one sacrifice that, that brings eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and those ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified, sanctifying for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works and to serve the living God. This is the, this is the perfection of of Christ's sacrifice. And if you read 
skip to verse chapter 10. For the law, notice, of course, this is referring back to the books of Moses and the sacrificial system that we've been looking at. For since the law, since it is only a shadow, here's the word, of the good things to come and not the form of those things itself can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually every year, make those who approach perfect. It had no ability to truly purify and perfect people. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. But in these, those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Again, the Day of Atonement, once a year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes in the world, he says, You have not desired a sacrifice and offering, but you have prepared a body for me. You have not taken pleasure in whole burnt offerings and offerings for sin. For then I said, Behold, I have come, for it is written of me in the scroll of the book to do, to do your will, O God. Right? That's, that's the Messiah. That's a quote of a psalm. The idea that this, this priest, so that's the next thing is he's, Christ is now the high priest. So Aaron was the high priest and went into the Holy of Holies. But now we have the high priest, right? Jesus. He's the one who's going to enter in and he's not going to offer the blood of any animals over and over again. It's going to be his own body. And it's going to be it's the body of the perfect lamb that's going to be shed. This is why the, the irony, like when you read in the Gospels, when, when Jesus is on trial before Caiaphas, right? Caiaphas is the high priest. And, and you have this courtroom, right? Judging, they have no idea who they're talking to. They're talking to the high priest, right? This is, this is the high priest. In fact, I always think about their little courtroom where they're judging Christ. And if, if and Christ quotes Daniel 7. And if you go read Daniel 7, you can imagine, like, like they did with Elijah, is you can imagine lifting the veil, and you have hundreds of millions of people taking their seat in Daniel 7. And all the angels and all the people there, and there's this big courtroom. And there's the Son of Man you're on the, you know, coming on the clouds. Which you, there's, this, there's a larger courtroom where the real high priest is. So you have Caiaphas, who's this you know, extremely imperfect high priest judging the high priest. There's a sense of irony you should get when you read that section of, of Jesus is being, being judged by this high priest because he is the true high priest. And he's not in the line of, of um, Aaron. He's in the line of this other priest, Melchizedek, who's just is only twice mentioned in the Old Testament, briefly in Genesis when Abraham encounters it after the battle of the five, ar- five armies and, and, he, um, and Abraham gives him a tenth. Right? Abraham recognizes who this character is and gives him a tenth of everything he has. Right? And, they, and they, have, they, have, they, they have a little ceremony that they go through. And then later on, um, is it Psalm 110, the priest of Melchizedek? So there's this idea that Christ is from a different priesthood, a priesthood that's eternal. It's not a flawed one like the Aaronic priesthood. This is a priesthood that's an eternal priesthood that has no beginning, no end, right? So, so, that's, so that's another thing that's more... Christ is... So all these, all the, Aaron and the, that priesthood was just a shadow of the real high priest, which was Christ. So Christ is, um, he's the sacrifice, he's the priest. And then this idea of a sanctuary that's in heaven. Think back to the Daniel 7 reference, right? The, that when the courts are set, that's in heaven, right? There's this, there's this real sanctuary, and that's the sanctuary his death brings you into, the heavenly sanctuary. His, his death has the ability so that someday we'll be able to see him face to face and we'll be able to see God. Right? That's, that's not just going into some 
tabernacle in some inner room in some tabernacle. This is going into the heavenly sanctuary. Now, the tabernacle was also symbolized Christ's body as well in ways that I don't fully understand. You know, when Jesus said destroy this temple, he's talking about the temple in that case, that if you, I, I'll, I'll raise it up again in three days, talking about his own body. So there's a sense that his, that his was the body that would bring you into the true sanctuary that... Um, that we'll see some. Leviticus 16, where we just were, it says the tabernacle dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Yes. And I thought of Jesus dwelling with us, and yes. in Revelation, he's going to dwell with us. Yes. And amazing parallels there. Yes. Yes. In fact, I'm going to go to Revelation in a second because I just. I just I love the scene that you, you get in that particular scene. And then we, we'll talk about this in more detail, but the, I, so Hebrews doesn't make this big deal that Jesus now inaugurates a new and better covenant, this idea of the new covenant from Jeremiah 31. This is very different. This is not like the law of Moses where the law was external and you had an external circumcision. This was something that was actually going to change your heart. This is, you're going to know God. You're going to have the spirit of God. You're not even going to need teachers because everyone's going to know God. You know, this, and it's going to transform your heart. Instead of being an external set of regulations, this is going to be something that you're going to know God and, you, and you're going to follow. This is the idea of the new covenant. That's why when we, when we do the communion, we talk about the new covenant in Christ's blood. This is Christ's blood is ushering a new covenant, a covenant that is superior to the old Mosaic covenant. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely hit on that at some point. So, and then the other thing, remember Yom Kippur every year, Right? Along with all the other sacrifices that were done daily, Christ once and for all. Right? 925. I think we looked at, did we look at that? 925. <clears throat> for Christ did not enter a most holy place made by hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into a heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, as the high priest enters in the holy place year by year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is destined for people to die once, so after comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Right. So, the, so the idea is, is Christ's sacrifice is once and for all. Right? He sat down at the right hand of God. This is sort of the ushering in of, of uh, the inauguration of the king. It's now sitting on the right hand of God, and we're waiting for his return. And so that's a once-for-all sacrifice, not something that's continually done all the time. Right. And, and at Christ's crucifixion, it's not an accident that the temple veil was ripped into. Right? So in Hebrews, it also says we can now enter in with boldness into that inner sanctuary. We have just a little bit of time. By the way, any, any, we could spend a lot of time here in Hebrews, obviously. You know, it's, it's possible to be tight to death. Yes. When, when you read Leviticus. Yes. And it's uh, sometimes it's mind-numbing and humbling mm-hmm. too. But Christ as high priest, he's not, he's, he's a different kind of high priest as Melchizedek would suggest. And he has to be because he doesn't come from the uh, Aaronic line. Mm-hmm. Right? He's, he's from the Judaic line. Mm-hmm. So it has to be different. But Melchizedek was presumably the king, uh, king of righteousness, the king of peace. Mm-hmm. Presumably he was the king of Jerusalem where ultimately God would tell Abraham to kill his son. Yes. And the other thing is that Christ is not quite the high priest because the high priest, you know, after, after the goats, and before, he, before the high priest did any of that, the high priest had to buy a bull 
uh, of his own, out of his own money, not the temple money, mm-hmm. and kill it for, to atone for his own sins. That's right. Christ never had to do that. That's right. So the sacrifice mm-hmm. uh, is, yes. is, is, is yes. very different. Yeah, the, the, that's why the type always fails. The re, you know, it doesn't meet up to the reality. Not even close, right? I mean, someday when we're in heaven, I don't. Th- these things are going to be beyond just shadows. They're they're just very, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah Marilyn. I was just going to say, in in studying this, you know, your brain is much more into the details than mine is. But what this always reminds me of Hebrews and Exodus are two of my favorite books. Oh, good. together, but the the enormous mercy and love of God mm-hmm. in setting in place this Passover and all these sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you grew up in the culture in which that was done, then when Jesus came, you had a reference for this. Yes. And like you say, how happy you are for to have Hebrews. Think how kind it was for so many you know I realize God is outside of time in that but but to put that that in yeah. for us yes so that when we we understand and think how much more that person raised in the Jewish culture of the day yeah. would have understood when, when Paul said he was a sacrifice yeah well they have that all in, yeah. in their DNA yeah. kind of yes. in their I think that's just another um, yeah. just way to thank God for, yeah. for his Another great example right in that line is you remember when um, Christ heals the leper, cleanses the leper. He tells the leper to go to the priest and offer the offerings prescribed to Moses. Now do you think that priest had ever done that in his life? I assume that would have been like, okay, what's going on here? This is, this is unprecedented. This idea, this like he—I I don't imagine that that happened. And there's so he, the priest knows there's something big going on. That the who is this that actually did this cleansing? And that's the, and so, so a lot of it is a setup, a setup for all this is a setup for Jesus. God takes His time in this setup, for, and and uh, I can imagine that priest like, what is going on here? You know, um, yeah, I mean, and yeah, there's a lot to be said. Turn to Revelation five. We got just enough time for this, because I, I love the book of Revelation. You've read the end, you know how it ends, right? <laughs> At least to some degree. So, going back to like what Nathan says is Passover lamb, that's the central lamb, that's the lamb, with, that's the male lamb without blemish, and in the book of Revelation, he's, the lamb is mentioned over 30 times, and it's always the lamb that, that was slain. So, Christ is still bearing the marks of the crucifixion in John's vision. Which is amazing. And so in, in, in Revelation 5, you have a throne room. And it says, At the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. So you got this seven sealed scroll. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth. By the way, that's, that's an echo of the Ten Commandments. Right? You're not, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Then you're not to build anything of an image of anything that's in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. So, so everything in Revelation is, is keyed off of, of things, even out of Exodus. It says, 
And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Nobody could look. I mean, no one was worthy to open the scroll. Then I began to weep. This is John. He's weeping greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is overcome so that he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. So now you've got this. You know you've got a picture of a lion. This is like, he, he can come forward. The root, not the offspring of David, right? This is the root of David. This, this is the question that, that Christ put back to the Pharisees. What do you do with Psalm 110, right? Who's, who is David? Who is the Messiah? He's the offspring of David. But here he's the root of David, which is solving the riddle that Jesus gave, right? And I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, a crazy vision here, which are all in the seven spirits of the earth, sent out into all the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth, and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Right? And then they, and it goes on, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take this scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and you purchased a people for God with the blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have, so this is not just. Israel. This is everybody. This is, this is a cross-section through time and space, right? This, clear back to Genesis, the idea of Eden wasn't supposed to be just the garden. It was supposed to be the whole earth. Now that's about to happen, right? This is, this is cr- across all cross-sections of culture and time and space, right? Every nation, every people. You have made them into a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth, right? And it's, but it's because of the slaughtering of the lamb that makes this possible. And that... And then they looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them with, was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every, every created thing which is in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, or on the sea, and all things that are in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion forever and ever. And on the four living creatures, saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Right? So that's just one scene with the lamb. It's going to open, then the lamb's going to open this seven-sealed scroll. Now the, the rightful heir, the king, is going to gain what is rightfully his. Right? Now is Christ's inheritance is coming into play is, is, as, we, as we open these seven seals. But that picture over and over again of this crucified lamb in, in the book of Revelation keys back on what, what Christ did and what he offered and, and how... He is the one who is worthy, and he is the one that provides the sacrifice, the true sacrifice that covers our sin. Right? So anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll end with that. So, I think, so next week, I think we'll um, jump in and start looking at some of the Davidic Psalms and talking with David and looking at that element and the messianic element with Christ that's going to shadow things. And particularly, we'll look at things like, like Psalm 22 and others. So any parting questions? I mean... We, did, we just dipped our toe into some of this stuff, but I, I find it uh, very, uh, both com- I find it comforting but, and fascinating at the same time. So, and s- sobering as well. So, all right, we'll end there. So, so if, you, if you, you could read Psalm 22, I, I think we'll probably do that next week. So read Psalm 22 and think about that psalm. That's, Think about how it begins and how it ends and everything in the middle, right? The whole psalm is important to get sort of the gist of everything that's going on there. So, all right. I'll I'll close in prayer. Lord God, uh, you are the lamb that was slain. And and, uh, Lord, I can't can't even wrap my head around why the creator of the universe would do such a thing for me and 
Lord, but we love you and we thank you for your mercy to us. In Christ's name, amen.